real privilege to uh, open up the Word of God and uh, continue in our worship. We haven't stopped worship. Remember that. We're continuing in worship. Okay? All too often, we uh, get to understanding things in the way that, oh, well, this church has really good worship. Or that church has really good worship. Well, what they are thinking of is the music. And a lot of times we think, you know, well, we go to worship. You, you've come to worship here on a Sunday morning. And here this morning in our time together, I want to uh, open up the Word of God and, and we're going to look and see that it's your life is a life of worship. It's not just on a Sunday morning. And uh, we want to elaborate on that some more through uh, this passage that we're going to look at in Psalms. Psalm 81. Psalm 81. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to open up the one in the shelf right in front of you there uh, in the Bible that's provided for you. Psalm 81. So we continue in our summer journey in the Psalms. And the heart or the essence of the collection of Psalms is that of praise and worship. That's what we think of when we think of the, the book of Psalms. We're thinking a lot of, oh, praise and worship to God. And that's what it is. That's the main theme in the collection of psalms that we have. And I wonder, thinking about this and considering this, that the true worship of God does more for us than we will ever know. A lot of times we're not thinking in terms like this is uh, resulting in anything, but there's great result, there's great blessing when we understand there's a realm of being a true worshiper. Okay, And I fear, as many of us I know do, that if we don't make much of God, that's worship. If we don't make much of God, which is worship, then we will not really be transformed as we ought. We will keep looking like normal people of the world, nice worldly people. <laughs> but that's another group. And you know what that group is called? They're not the true worshipers. They're the wanderers. There can be some really nice people in that group, but they're not true worshipers. And so that's what we want to look at here in this, uh, in this Psalm, Psalm 81. Am I a worshiper or a wanderer? Wanderers are, are basically um, ones that are doing their own thing, going their own way without God and without God's help. Okay. And we know for sure that the lost people, the people that do not believe in Jesus Christ, they're the wanderers. They're picking up uh, certain things that seem pretty or attractive or intelligent, and they're holding on to those things as they wander through this life. But there's no real purpose or meaning apart from what they've grabbed and, and uh, started following. And God's people are the true worshipers. God's people are supposed to be the true worshipers. 
But God's people, if we aren't careful, we can turn to our own pathway also. And that's what this psalm is going to show us. We've got to be careful that we don't, as God's people, join the group and the company of wanderers. Okay? So, we want to look at this and there's three main points uh, that I have that's in your outline there and there's a fourth kind of concluding remark uh, to our time. Let's start with this. If I were to say, like we mentioned Shaw, you know, in baseball, or some of you guys are really good golfing or tennis or whatever, you know, different. If I were to say, I, I'm a group of... I don't know, pick a sport. And I'd like to think I'm a really good golfer. But yesterday, golfing with my son-in-law shows that I'm not a good golfer. But in my mind, I'm a really good golfer. You know what I mean? You, You relate to that, don't you? And as we say, like with the really good sports that you're in, the older you get the better you were. Right? But I'm not a, a part of the company of professional golfers, though I think it'd be really cool to be a part of them. I'm not. And that kind of thinking is what we need to apply to this text. Am I a true worshiper? And not just that I want to be, and I want to be labeled like that, but am I? Is it true in my practice? That's what we're getting at. So Psalm 81, we want to look at this, the first five verses. Follow along as I read. Psalm 81. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Strike the timbrel, the sweet-sounding lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the noon moon, at the full moon, on our feast day, for it is a statute for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He established it for a testimony in Joseph when he went throughout the land of Egypt. I heard a language that I did not know. And then it moves on to the second section. We're going to take this first part. Verses 1 through 5 is the plan of worship or the design, if you like that better, the design or the plan of worship, point number one. And uh, we need to understand, here's, here's a, 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 a psalm that's going to go through different uh, sections for us and we want to follow along carefully. So this first part is about praise. Look at it. You, you know, sing for joy to God, our strength. Shout joyfully. Okay? So letter A is abounding praise. It's, it's not just... Average praise. You get that? It's not average. It's abounding. And so, listen. You and I need to examine this individually and corporately. Not just, oh, I I really do good at abounding praise. No, it's, it's not just you. It's individually we examine ourselves and corporately we examine ourselves. I'll get to that in a little bit here. But sing to sing for joy, right? Um, it's important that we think of that. When I just sang these some of these songs, was I singing for joy in what Jesus has accomplished? Am I shouting joyfully? And it's a shout. 
I remember Dale White and his t-shirt. Real men sing what? Real loud. Okay? And that can be real Christians sing real loud. You know, and praising God. It's a shout. It's, it's a shout of victory. And how many of you have been to, you know, uh, professional football games or college football games? And the place is packed. And people are, you know, red, you know, just the veins are coming for them. They're screaming and shouting for what? An interception, a touchdown. And we, what are we doing? We are so jazzed that my team won. Why don't we have that kind of idea here in the shout of triumph for what God has done? That's what the people of Israel were called to do. So this is, it's a plan or design, a blueprint of worship, but it's also a charge to do it. It's not just a, hey, why don't you think about this? Think about singing for joy. Think about it. No, it's not that. It's a charge. You do it. You do it. You're a believer. And, and obviously this text is talking to the people of Israel. They're to shout joyfully. And notice it says, to the God of Jacob. Um, I always wondered about that. Why is that? To the God of Jacob. Why not the, to the God of Abraham? And I can't help but remember Jacob was a cheater. <laughs> so why, why the God of Jacob? Folks, here's the first hint about this whole chapter it's about grace god's grace to jacob okay the idea of grace pouring forth from the throne of god okay secondly letter b under number one it's assembled assembled praise when it says sing for joy shout joyfully raise a song you know what that is that's in the plural it's for the group the assembly, it's an assembled praise. Okay? And it says, raise a song. Let others hear it. You know, it's not to, you know, I'm, I'm going to sing and I'm not going to let anyone hear. Well, I know people tell me all the time, you know, I can't sing. Well, make the joyful noise. We've said that before. That's like, that's like old, old line. Just make a joyful noise. Well, do it. Sing, make a joyful noise. Let others hear the song. It's, it's like, here's where the essence of music comes forth in this idea that we're bringing in instruments now. Here's accompaniment. It's bringing in harmonies. Bringing in different, different kinds of instruments. And that's what it's saying here. It's for celebration. It's not just to show off the guitar player or the trumpet player or the bass player or the piano player. No, it's for... Everyone, th- everything coming together to lift up a celebration for God for who He is and what He's done. And it's then hopefully going to move people, move people to more and more worship. Then let us see its anticipated praise. Anticipated praise. Follow along here. You know, here's the trumpet. You know, blow the trumpet. When? It says at the new moon. At the full moon, on our feast day. So, Israel had appointed days and times for these festivals or these feasts. Notice we said festivals, not funerals. Okay? 
is to lift up praise and be excited and, and shout. Be loud about it. Why? God is great. He's provided the victory. He's given us the victory. So it's anticipated. So let's take it as a challenge for us to anticipate worship with the assembly. And maybe a number of you have probably maybe talked to certain ones that say, oh, I worship by myself. You know, I, I like to go drive out here or up there in the mountains. I worship on my own. Um, that's just dodging the responsibility of a Christian. Okay, and I know I'm speaking to the choir. Here you are. You're in. You're in church. You're. You're. You're in the ser- worship service. I get it. But there's times where you and I talk to people, and and we can encourage them. We can, you know, encourage them about coming to our church, or there's another church they could go to. Get involved with a an assembly. Okay. Be involved. So, this idea of um, our praise, abounding praise, assembled praise, anticipated, and it's, it shows we understand, or we ought to understand, we have a faith relationship with the living God. Do you? If you have a faith relationship with the living God, there ought to be a, a, you know, a regular ongoing thing of, you know, I, I'm looking forward to worship again. I'm looking forward to today, whether it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'm looking forward to the moment. I'm look, I want to worship Him. I want to lift Him up in my life. Yes, when the storms come, when the difficulties come, I still want to turn to say, I trust you, God. I will praise you through this storm. Okay? God transcends all the stuff and, and wants to enter in to your life and all the aspects of your life. And are you, are you going to respond as a worshiper or a wanderer? Okay. Second point. Let's look at Psalm 81 starting at verse 6. Follow along. I relieved his shoulder. Now who's talking here? Asaph is the author But Asaph isn't talking from himself, as personally speaking. He's talking from God's perspective. Okay? Here we go. Verse 6. I relieved his shoulder of the burden. Who's his? Uh, Well, Israel. God relieved Israel of the, the shoulder of their burden. And his hands were freed from the basket. The basket meaning the basket of bricks. Here's that slavery that they were, you know, chained to in Israel, right? Verse 7, you, Israel, you called in trouble and I rescued you. I answered you in the hiding place of thunder. I proved you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you would listen to me. Let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Okay. If you were to leave and go home and say, oh, we had a really wonderful time of worship. 
in, in our worship service. What was the point? What's the emphasis of our worship? That's number two in our outline. The point in worship or the emphasis in worship. It's not in the people. It's not in the, the, you know, the instrumentalist or the really beautiful piano player. It's not, it's not that. Over the years, we've had wonderful folks with great talent come. And it might be that you think, oh, I really have a favorite of, you know, who we have sing or whatever. And, but that's not the point. The point of our worship is found in verses 6 through 10. Okay? Asaph gives the reasons to praise God so that you and I would recount, recall them, and really rehearse them in our lives and with our kids or our grandkids. Rehearse them. Let's go over this again. What did God do in Egypt? Why do we say Egypt? Well, there's the model of what? The model of redemption. That's where God rescued his people. And that's what we see here in this text. So starting at, um, in number A, under number two, it's all about his grace. It's all about God's grace. That's what we need to see. It's what God did. God, in verse six, what did he do? Look at verse six. He relieved them from their burden. He freed them into liberty. They're no longer slaves. They're, they're free. Verse 7, he rescued them. You know, here's an Egyptian army at the time. They're one of the top-notch armies around in the world. And here they come, chariots and all. He rescued them. And the, and the waters came crashing down. I know, I, I almost said the walls. And that's Jericho, that's later. But the walls of water... Kaboom! Came down on that army. And the Pharaoh sunk. So God did this. God relieved them. God freed them. He rescued them. He answered them. Then letter B. It's all about His worthiness. His grace and His worthiness. Look at verse 8 and 9. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. Let me, let me stop a second and have you think of this. Okay? Um, if there's like a medical emergency or some sort of emergency, I'm going to be more, much more prone to listen to a Monty Morrison or a Mike Parrish or um, Dr. Eric Robinson when he was here or others of you that have nursing emergency response understanding. But if I were to call out and say, here's what you do, you... You might not want to listen to me, but we'd want to listen to those guys that know of what to do, okay? You know, and this is one of the things like with RJ, our new deacon, you know, it's not like we're going to um, have a drill every Sunday, okay? Here's what we do if this happens. We're not going to do that. But eventually we want to say to the congregation, hey, you know, here's how we respond. Should something happen? Why? You and you and you and you. you there's value here. And we've said it when, you know, we said it when RJ was up here and we prayed for RJ. 
it's a matter of stewardship that the leadership has with the people in the congregation, in the assembly. Okay? We're just saying we're, we want to be careful. We want to be ready. All that kind of thing. All that has to do with this. When God speaks, what happens? Do you respond in worship or are you a wanderer? You say, well, I don't really need him. I've got my own way to go. And as Christians, most of us here profess faith in Christ. And there's many times where we respond like a wanderer. And we don't listen to God. We want God to listen to us. Hey, God, I'm in trouble. Come on, God. I need your help. And I like it today. And I, I don't say that real... I, I do that, like, in my thinking about Shauna Bays. We prayed for Shauna last week. I know God can do it, right? We know God can do it. But I cross over a line sometimes, many times, and I think, I want it now. I want to see it now, God. Come on. And really, I'm, that's not the way to respond. We need to remember, He is worthy, and, and our worship of Him is about His grace and His worthiness. He's worthy to be listened to. Because why? He instructs us, verse 8. He instructs us. What is that instruction like? It's about wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge. That's what He wants to instruct us with. Not the ways of the world, not the ways of wanderers, but the ways of wisdom and knowledge. And by the way, He's also jealous for us. He's jealous for His own. And so He wants to guard and protect His own. Saying, don't follow those false gods. That's what it says in verse 9 there. Look at it. Let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign gods. We have to examine our own hearts, folks. This is something that kind of scoots under the radar. There's false gods among us. We worship false gods, and we, but we will never admit that. We don't want to admit that, but we worship false gods. And all the while we say we worship the li- one living true God. So we, what do we have to do? We have to examine this and say, am I worshiping a false god in my life? I have to weigh that out with certain things in my life. As you know, as over the years, you can hear me talk and mention sports here and there. Oh well, yeah, I like it. And I enjoy sports. Do, you, do I have a love affair with sports that I shouldn't? That's the whole idea behind spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery is anything that gets in, you know gets in the way of you and your one true love. Is that God? Is it Jesus? And so you and I have to keep coming back to the Word of God, coming back to His grace and forgiveness and love and saying, here I am, Lord. I want to keep you know, walking in this life with you closest by my side, leading me and guiding me. 
He's the, the one true God, and He is the one and only who is worthy of our praise and devotion. Then let us see under number two, it's all about His sufficiency. Not just His grace and His, his worthiness, but His sufficiency. He can do it. He can do the job. He says in verse 10, look at it. What does it say? I am the Lord your God. I'm sorry. I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Okay? He did it. He's talking in past tense. He did the job. And then what does he say? This is why I say he's sufficient. What does it say next? Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. What's the picture there, folks? He's going to satisfy you. And all, how many of us want to go eat from the table of the world for satisfaction? Some of you men, you're going to eat from the table of pornography thinking that will satisfy you. And it will just destroy you. I want to say, we as a church, we understand it. And if, you're have, if you are enslaved and in bondage to that, you need to call upon some friend who wants, you can be accountable with about that problem. Um, others of you, it might be that you've got the credit card constantly going and you are in bondage to spending you need to recognize you're in bondage to that. And that's just two simple things. Simple. They're, they're not good things at all. And you and I have the tendency to get off track and to go eat from the world's table thinking we're going to get satisfied. He says, I, the Lord, am your God. I rescued you. I delivered you out of Egypt. Open your mouth wide. I will fill it. Folks, you know what this really is? Here's God's invitation for the gospel. Here's the gospel being offered to all. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Come, you who are thirsty, come and buy. You don't need money, but come. Mark it down, Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Listen, we know the world has plenty of charm and plenty of pleasure and attraction, but it cannot satisfy the way God satisfies. And the way God satisfies is how? Through the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. All right? John Piper's uh, quote that many of you already know. God is most glorified when what? (laughs) God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. Are you satisfied in God? And that's the idea of continuing to grow sanctification process in your life. Keep growing. Keep spending time in the Word. Keep spending time fellowshipping with other believers. Keep, you know, uh, sharing your faith with other people sharpens you in a good way. 
See, the gospel is because is given because we got a problem. It's a sin problem, which will have judgment coming. The judgment of God will come upon all sin. But God, in His grace, provides. Here's the provision. He provides Jesus as the answer. He died for us and He rose again. Hallelujah! There's the shout. Hallelujah! He, he brought it about. And then the promise is, you'll be His child through faith in Christ. You, you will be His child. Now, identify yourself in that way. Walk and live in that way. I'm a child of God. I will walk in that way. I will learn what He has for me in His Word and walk that way. And as we do, we get tested. God proves us at the waters of Meribah. He, he tests us. And we move to point number three in the outline. There's a plague. A plague upon worship. The plague is this. Wandering from God. Doing our own thing. Asaph here writes out what God would say from what really happened with Israel. Starting in verse 11. But, follow along, verse 11. But my people did not listen to my voice. Remember we just had said, hey, God's people want God to listen. But will God's people listen to God? That's a good challenge for you. Well, how do you listen to God? Read His Word. Pray. Come to church services and you know hear the preaching of the Word. You know, there's all sorts of resources that we have. But still, the church seems weak, doesn't it? Look at ours. I mean, here's, here's an instance. I know. I mean, we, we have a healthy fellowship and relationship with each other, but when was the last time we had a baptism service? When was the last time we saw someone come to faith in Christ? It's not necessarily your fault or your fault or the leadership fault. It's just simply, what's going on? There's a weakness amongst the churches of, of God. It's, it's just, there's a weak condition, I think. And here, God spells out, here's letter A, the warnings about what happened to God's people. The warnings. Verse 11, you did not listen to my voice. There's the, that's the first one. When we, don't, when we aren't hearing from God, well, you hear from God through His Word and through the, the promptings of the Spirit of God in your life. And Israel, look at verse 11 again. In Israel, what? Did not obey me. They didn't listen, so they didn't obey. And then verse 12. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their, of their heart. They showed their stubbornness to what God was instructing them to do. And they were stubborn. Here's man's great tendency to do his own thing. They're not trusting God. I'm not trusting God. You're not trusting God. When we do our own thing. You've got to remember. Let's, let's encourage one another to trust Him. And really, the Bible is saying here in Psalm 81 that God allowed for that. He let them go their way to teach them and to show them. There's a reminder of that in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, by the way. Romans 1, 24. 
well, carrying on under letter A, they, they went after their own ways, their own choices. They turned into wanderers. Now, here's where we take that idea, that label wanderers, and we connect it to the book of, what Old Testament book is about wandering? The book of Numbers. And what was the, the low point in the book of Numbers? Here come the 12 spies. They, they spied out the land. They came back to the people. And how many spies wanted to go into the land? Two. And ten of them said, no, we can't do it. And the people went with the ten spies council. That was a pivotal turning point. But now, guess what, folks? You get to wander for 40 years. It really happened. But there's a lesson in it for you and me. We go with what's popular opinion. We go with, oh, this is cool. Yeah, yeah, we better not go do that. Lack of faith, right? And let's, we went off and did our own way. And even after that, it's, I just, this sticks in my mind. The people of Israel, after they're told, okay, that's it. You're going to wander. Then they said, oh, oh, we're sorry. Hey, let's go. Come on, get everyone together and let's go fight the Amalekites. You better not do that. Leaders of Israel said, you better not do that. And they went and did it. And what happened? They got routed. They got beat up. They got defeated. Folks, it's so important that we get this picture for the Christian life. Okay? You do your own thing. You become a wanderer. You're not a worshiper. You're a wanderer doing your own thing. Then letter B. The warnings about what could have been. Here's what God's saying to them. Here's what could have happened had you listened, had you obeyed. Here we go. Oh, that my people would... Verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies. I would turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to Him. And their time of punishment would be forever. See, he would, he would have given them the, the victory over their enemies. He would have brought about judgment for the enemies. And actually, that's what he did when they were walking and following the Lord. And here's, here's the biggest thing of what could have been their satisfaction. There, come, we, there we come back around to it again. They would have been satisfied. Do you, do you get it that God wants to see your life satisfied? But see, we listen to uh, preachers of the health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine, and we think it's all about money that God wants us to be satisfied with. Or a really, you know, prestigious life. All those kind of things. That's false teaching. It's false teaching. They're, they're adding Jesus to their mix and their, their stuff. And we get pulled in thinking, oh, this is about Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus came to do? He had to die for something. What's that called? Sin. That's something that's missing in their teaching. They don't talk about sin. 
I'm not trying to say we're going to talk about sin every day and discourage your precious souls every Sunday morning. But it's got to be addressed, doesn't it? See, this is what the problem is when we say there's a plague on worship. It's, it's because underneath it, there's a problem of sin and we're not dealing with it properly. We need to listen to God, obey Him. God brings about what is best. Look at verse 16. I would feed you with what? The finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock. I would, there it is again, satisfy you. I find this last statement very intriguing because you know what it's really pointing to? I would, I would bring from what you would never even consider. I will bring out of nothing. Here's, here's Jesus. Jesus is the one and only. Jesus is the all-sufficient one. He's the worthy one. He's the one that brought forth grace upon grace for us. And so we, we lock in on Jesus and recognize He's the all-satisfying one. And your heart, my friend, will never be satisfied unless you are learning of Jesus. And you, to, you know... Where it starts is repenting of your sin and having faith in Christ. Have you done that? Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you acknowledged your sin and put faith in Christ? Some of you have not. You, you show up and you're good people and you're sitting here and you participate and all that, but you're, you're not in the family of God. You need to call upon Him as the Lord and Savior. Say, He's mine. I trust Him. I know that He is the Lord. Here this morning, if, if that's something that you know you need to do, I'll be up front here. I want to talk to you. And you don't have to talk to me. You can, you can do business with God right where you're at. But you need to do business with God because guess what? He's going to win out in this messed up, unraveling, messy world. He will win out. God is faithful. He promised it in His Word. His Word is still here. We want to hide it in our hearts. Honor Him as as we walk through this life. And so, praise be to His name. Are you facing a difficulty? How are you going to respond? As a worshiper or a wanderer? Let's identify ourselves as worshipers and track along. Here's Psalm 81. It's not one of these spectacular psalms that we're so familiar with and so we love Psalm this one or that one. But Psalm 81. What? Psalm 81? Well, let's get familiar with it and start identifying ourselves as a worshiper, not just on a Sunday morning from 10 o'clock to 11.30. This afternoon. Tomorrow, the next day. Think of ways you can encourage one another about being a worshiper. You know why? John chapter 4 says, God seeks those who would be His worshipers. He likes that. So, let's identify the marks of a wanderer and avoid that and stay away from that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not 
on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. You know, this might come across as kind of basic and simple. But I think the, the reason for our weakness as a church, not just our church, but churches all over, is because we, we think we got the simple things down. Let's be good at trusting God in all the situations of life. Let's remember to pray for Shauna Bays and others who are struggling with things and, and lift them up in prayer, asking God to do the healing, do the work, and encouraging their hearts. we got people who have come this morning who are hurting. You know, be an encouragement with your countenance, your coming alongside and giving them a hug. And following through and saying, I, I will, I'm going to be praying for you this week. It's worth it. It's worth it, even in the tough times. Learn to be a good worshiper. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You again for Your Word. Lord, even now, I, I just pray that You'd help each one of us to stay on track in this journey to stay on track with what you have for us. May your will be done, dear Lord. Being a true worshiper is not a matter of showing up to a meeting. You've really showed us in your word, Lord, that being a true worshiper is a matter of one's character. Do the work in our lives to transform us more and more. Thank You for Your precious Word. Thank You that we can lift up loud praises unto Your name. God, we thank You for our time. Thank You for each person here. And thank You for the triumph that You've brought about for each and every one. In Jesus' name, we praise You, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you.